Leadership is really important, isn't it? Leadership is really important. The year just gone, we had two monarchs, we had three prime ministers, we had four chancellors of the Exchequer, I think, and we had five housing ministers or something like that, and I don't know how many other changes of guard at the highest levels. The art of leadership is really important. The art of followership is probably more important than we think as well. But how does God want us to think about leadership? How does God want us to think about leadership in the church? That's the topic we're going to be having a think about with God's help this morning. We're in this book of 1 Timothy. We're quite a long way through it now. Paul's letter to his fellow church leader. This book is about, perhaps you remember Johnny saying, this book is about God's big plan to save the world through the church. This book is about God reaching out to the world through ordinary church families full of ordinary Christians like us. Because the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's something we've heard a few times now. That's a really key verse from chapter 3, verse 15. That's that idea that the church is like Nelson's column. Maybe you remember Johnny making that point. The church sort of holds up Jesus to the world because the world can't see Jesus directly, can it? But the world can see us and the world can see the difference that Jesus makes to our lives. And that's just such an important thing to bear in mind when we have a passage like this, which is lots of commands about how we should live the Christian life well. The reason for that is to hold up Jesus, to make him look as wonderful as he really is. And if we've just begun to appreciate in our own lives just how wonderful Jesus is, if if we know him in our hearts, as the one and only way of access to God. If we know him as the one who forgave us when we really shouldn't have been forgiven. If we know him, I suppose we'll want, won't we, to, to make Jesus uh, known, uh, to make him uh, held up, to, to make him look good as best, as best we can. Um, can I just say, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that is wonderful. Uh, we are so glad you're here. My hope is that as we look at the Christian life, it sounds really attractive. Um, My hope and prayer is that as we look at the Christian life, which is a life of of caring about God's message, a life of, of caring about justice, caring about good leadership, caring about respecting and honouring those around us, that is a life that is supposed to stand out. I I pray that you, you might be thinking there is something here, there is something to this message. But how does God want us to live? And a really important word in chapter 5 of this letter is honour. We honour God by honouring other people. Near the start and the end of the letter, chapter 1, chapter 6, there's references to God being the one who's worthy of all honour. Get into the body of this letter, chapter 5. Honour keeps coming up. There's three sections in chapter 5. There's a section about widows, which we heard about last week. There's a section about church leaders. There's a section about slaves and masters. Each section begins in the original with a command to show honour. Honour or respect. It's the same idea in each of those three um, built blocks. 
Now, honour probably isn't a word we use that often. Think back, when was the last time you used honour? Unless you were watching a TV show set in the Middle Ages or something, we don't tend to use that word very much. So we have to think respect, recognition, reverence, valuing someone, prizing someone. That's what honour means. Giving someone the respect and the, the thanks that is appropriate to their position. So what would happen if King Charles came to visit Upton Meadows? kind of hope there'd be some level of cream teas, handshakes, speeches. But why would we be doing that? Uh, because of his position. We would be honouring his position. If we left him to stand outside in the rain on his own, that would be dishonouring. Or children, we might think that when we listen to our teachers and do what they say, that is honouring their position over us. Or which of the Ten Commandments has the word honour in it? It's the fifth one, isn't it? Honour your father and mother. It's a good link to bring in on Mother's Day. We've already mentioned that would be a a painful subject for some of us. And no parent does everything they should. But there's a respect and a love that we should give our mothers and fathers because of their position. That position of being our parents and bringing us up and, and caring for them. Giving them that respect and love is is honour. And this is the same idea that Paul has in mind here when he talks about honouring widows and honouring church leaders and honouring those above us in the workplace. And all of that is for the greater purpose of honouring who? Of honouring God. Well, with that, all, with that all in mind, let's have a, have a crack at church leaders. Let's have a look at um, chapter, verse 17. What does Paul have to say about the position of church leaders? There are three ways here that Paul says we should honour the position of the pastor. And the first way is that church leaders should be given both respect and payment, verse 17. Now you can see Johnny's done really well getting a guest speaker to come in for this one because you can imagine it would be a little bit difficult for him to stand up and talk about how he should be paid properly. But that is what the Bible is saying here. Verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour. That means respect and payment, double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now all of us have the privilege of teaching each other about Jesus. Hooray for that. But the Bible is quite clear there will be some with a special job. The responsibility of leadership and decision making and teaching the word. And the New Testament calls those people elders. And here, as I understand it, that would be Neil and Johnny. But you've also got that word especially. Because the New Testament also makes plain that unless the church really can't afford it, at least some of the elders will be paid. And you might call them the pastor or the minister or the vicar. And in, that, in this church, that would be Johnny, at least I hope I've got that right. Now, they're paid so that they can devote themselves, not to going on holiday all the time or playing golf, but so that they can devote themselves to preaching and teaching full time. Because that's a hard enough job without worrying about doing another job to support yourself and your family. Uh, verse 18, little um, sort of uh, text from scripture Paul says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. 
So if you want to give Johnny some feedback on this morning, you can say that um, I compared him to an ox. (laughs) Even an ox, when it is treading out the grain, deserves to be able to munch on the grain as it is working. So Paul says, how much more a pastor whose work is so much more valuable? Now, some of us might have had very bad experiences with church leaders. We might be very suspicious of this kind of teaching, and that's understandable. But we should bear in mind that church leaders are worthy of honour, not because church leaders are awesome, although I do uh, quite like Johnny, but church leaders are worthy of honour because of the gospel. The gospel is the most precious news in the world. Because it points us to Jesus. And yet our hearts are very inclined to forget it, aren't they? We keep on rowing back into trying to justify ourselves. Not to mention the church is supposed to hold up Jesus, hold up the gospel for the world to see. Which means we need to know the gospel and it means that we need help clinging to the gospel. And it means that we need help clinging to the gospel when life gets really hard. And that is going to mean hard labour for the church leaders. Hard labour in preaching and teaching and praying and studying and organising and drawing alongside people and so on. And that is worth respecting. A good pastor is valuable not because they're on some higher spiritual plane or because they've got sort of, sort of magic letters in front of their name, but because the pastor's job is to point people to Jesus and that's valuable beyond, beyond compare. And that is why uh, they are treated with respect and not insults and appreciation rather than grumbling and with, and with thankfulness rather than taking our leaders for granted. And where appropriate, that is why they are treated with payment that is sufficient and not begrudging. That might be something to keep in mind, I suppose, with the Giving Sunday coming up next week. The value of supporting work that is this valuable. Well, secondly, we might be wondering, if we're supposed to be so respectful towards our church leaders, what about when they sin? What about when they let us down? Well, Paul's coming on to that. So the second way... We honour the position of pastor. Is church leaders should be protected from false accusations, but if they, have found, if they are found to have sinned, they need to be called out on it. This is really sensitive and really important. Verse, verse 19, this is where he goes. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favouritism. You see what Paul is saying there? There are two dangers here and they can both destroy a church. So this is important. Paul is well aware that some people... Uh, perhaps because they don't like what is being taught or because they are confused, they may try and make false accusations against a church leader. And there, are, there is nothing that can destroy a person faster than that. And so because the gospel work is so valuable, Paul says, 
We are to be discerning and we are to make sure that when a leader faces accusations, there is substance to them. That the matter needs to be weighed properly for the sake of justice and for the sake of the gospel. That it's not just one person's word against another. But in verse 20, there's an opposite danger, isn't there? There's a huge danger of cover-up. The pastor might try and think it will be better to cover up serious wrongdoing. Other people might come to the same idea. And Paul says that's not right either. Verse 20, if a church leader is found to have fallen into serious wrongdoing, it must be brought out into the light. Because sin is serious. And when, it's, when wrongdoing is denied or covered up or excused or turned a blind eye to or even blessed, especially in those who are supposed to be an example to the church, then what happens? People are hurt. Indescribably hurt. The gospel is damaged. Other leaders think they can get away with the same kind of thing. And the name of Jesus is dragged through the mud. And it's a nightmare. So Paul says, church leaders must be accountable to someone. It was Timothy in here. But someone who can rebuke them if they commit serious sin. And verse 21 is just about making sure that there is no favoritism in this business. We might really like a church leader. It might be really hard to confront their sin. Or we might really not like a church leader and it might be really easy to believe all sorts of accusations against them. But Paul says we cannot afford favouritism here. We are God pleasers and not people pleasers. Now the church has been terrible at handling this kind of thing in the recent past. But God's people are so precious to him and the gospel is so important that God wants us to handle this kind of thing really, really well. I'm only a guest speaker, but if you do have concerns about the conduct of a leader here, please speak to the appropriate person. Know that you will be taken seriously. The third way, third way to honour the position of pastor, verse 22, is to be careful about who gets to do it. Verse 22, do not be lasty in the laying on of hands, which has got nothing to do with hugging or playing rugby or anything like that. This is talking about the ceremony of ordaining someone as a church leader. You see, there's a great danger in pushing someone forward for leadership too quickly just because they can speak impressively. Of course, a preacher needs to be able to string two sentences together. But when push comes to shove, in the daily battle of the ministry... Character will, co- will count a thousand times more than competence. We already explored that back in chapter 3. So Paul says to Timothy, wait. Wait and see how someone's character emerges over time. Because verse 24 is saying that some people's sins trail behind them so to speak, and they are only evident with time. Verse 25 is saying that good is the same with good works. When someone does love Christ, that will show itself in time, one way or another. So Paul says, when it comes to leadership, wait. That's one reason it's really good to have apprenticeships and junior staff positions for people to test their calling. 
Far better to be careful than to unleash someone on God's flock who is going to cause damage. The, you know, next, to be, next to do not be hasty, Paul says, do not share in the sins of others, verse 22. Imagine that, that, that to, push, to be hasty in pushing someone into church leadership would mean sharing in their sins. How about that? He says, keep yourself pure. God's flock is so precious. He doesn't want people messing around with it. You might be wondering what 20, verse 23 is doing. Paul randomly starts talking about wine. Suddenly gave me a gave me to scratch my head that verse. What's it doing here? I think Paul is just reminding Timothy though. He just told Timothy to keep himself pure. He's, obviously that's talking about being careful about who you ordain. But we've already heard in chapter 4 that Timothy was tempted by extra rules. It's easy to think that you become extra godly if you keep extra rules like banning alcohol. And there might be all sorts of, of reasons, good reasons not to drink. Um, but Paul's just reminding Timothy that godliness is not a matter of extra outward rules. Um, many things in life are God's good gifts to be enjoyed in moderation. Well, that's church leaders. That's plenty to chew on there, isn't there? It is one of God's greatest gifts this side of heaven to have good leaders. People who will point you to how great Jesus is. People who will love you with the love of Jesus. That is a, a, a God's, one of God's greatest gifts. And that is why the position of pastor is worth honouring in these three ways. Because actually a church like this, I, I maybe I can say this as an outsider. I've only sort of tasted what Grace Church is like. A church like this is, is, is magic. It's, it's pretty close to a miracle. You have a place here where people treat each other with the love of Jesus. That doesn't just happen by itself, actually. That takes the gospel. And the gospel takes gospel teachers. And so this is actually so important stuff. Well, our time's, our time's almost up. But finally, we're going to go briefly to chapter 6. One and two, because uh, we've also got here some pointers about honour at work. Remember, we had honouring widows, that was last week. We've had honouring church leaders, and now we've got honour at work. So these three blocks. We've just got a couple of verses on, on the workplace. So, verse one, chapter six all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Now again, this is a sensitive topic. Um, slavery is a deeply sensitive word. Um, I would value another half an hour to, to explore what's going on here, which I don't have. I'm sorry about that. As with the church leaders' stuff, um, where there are difficulties whether there are questions, ask, chat. I know you've got Q&A coming up. That's great. You can talk to me afterwards. Talk to each other. Talk to Neil. Talk to, talk to anyone, frankly. Talk. Slavery in Paul's day was not quite the same thing as the kind of slave trade that Britain got itself into two or three hundred years ago. It was brutal, but slavery was 
the best option for some, given the circumstances they found themselves in. It was a way of getting food and lodging. Slaves could even own other slaves. They could be highly educated professionals. They could have senior positions. Buying your freedom was by no means impossible. So we have to somehow balance what we are talking about here. It it was an unpleasant and non-Christian business but it was not the kind of thing that Britain got itself into two or three hundred years ago. It was hard labour, and if your master was a nasty piece of work, you were stuck with them. And that's why Paul calls it a yoke in chapter 6, verse 1. So what is Paul doing, saying here, consider your master worthy of full respect? Um, That is a radically God-centred way of thinking, isn't it? That is a radically God-centred way of thinking. Your first century Christian slave, down the, the Roman pub or tavern or whatever they called it, um, everyone else is grumbling and grousing about their, their horrible job and their horrible master. And the Christian slave is thinking, can I respect even, even my master as someone who is made in God's image? The parallels aren't perfect, but I think the best place for us to go with this is the modern workplace, which is not to say that we're all wage, literally wage slaves, although I appreciate it can feel like it. There's enough parallels here to warrant the parallel. Work is probably where we'll have the most contact with non-Christians. Work is probably where we'll have the biggest chance to show the world what a difference knowing Jesus makes. Even for the youngsters among us, I think these verses say something about how we should work at school or college, which again is not to say that school is slavery, but there is enough parallels here. If we're Christians in the workplace or school, people are going to judge God by how we behave. How about that? Now there is strength for that and grace. But we should always ask, am I, am I different? Am I standing out? Am I, am I a grumbler? Have I got sharp elbows? Am I, am I always jostling for, for recognition? Am I the sort of person who works really hard when the boss is looking over my shoulder and then I, I totally slack off when they're not there? How countercultural would it be to be someone who is known for showing respect even to a really bad boss? And work is really hard and the temptation to go for an easy life is massive but we have something even more massive to, to aim for and that is the chance to show the world what difference Jesus makes Paul even tackles in verse 2 the question of what happens if your boss is a fellow Christian um, if you work for a church I really hope that's the case so I, I had to wrestle with this for a long time as a church worker what if, if our boss is a Christian? There's the temptation there, isn't there, to, to take advantage of their forgiveness, to say, oh, well, they're not going to yell at me, so I'll, I'll sort of um, skimp, um, and I'll turn, my, I'll turn my attention to other things when they're not looking at me. I actually remember, teach, t- there was a Christian teacher at my school, and I, I treated her really badly, partly for this reason, because I knew that she wasn't going to, to yell the way some might. But, you know, this Paul actually says to serve them even better if they're a fellow Christian because they are dear to you as a fellow believer. That's actually an opportunity to love our boss better because they're a fellow member of God's household. 
It's actually an opportunity to show the world the kind of love that God's family members have for each other. And that could be a really powerful witness. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today, and I imagine we've been struck by different things depending on our situations, depending on what the Spirit wants to say to each one of us. But I would be, I'd be amazed if the Spirit said nothing. So I'm just going to give us a moment to reflect on what God is saying to us through this passage. And then in a few seconds, I'm going to pray. Let's just take a moment to reflect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is so precious that because of him, you loved us before the creation of the world. And thank you, that means that the gospel is really precious and church is really precious and good leadership in the church is really precious. And uh, showing the world at work what a difference Jesus makes, that is a a precious thing to do. Lord, please would you help us to uh, treat these things preciously. Please would you help us to be people who are brimming over with honour and respect and kindness and integrity at church and at work. Not for our own sake, uh, but for the sake of your name. And when we fail, when we are very, very conscious of how dishonouring we are, how disrespectful. Lord, thank you that there is grace in Jesus for every failure. Help us to, to cling to him. Help us to rejoice in your forgiveness. And help us to get up and go out again and live for you. In your strength, we pray. Amen.